Amen. Father and Son singing together. That's pretty good stuff. Thank you guys for singing and sharing with us today. Well, I'm delighted to introduce to you my nephew, Mark Henderson. Uh, Mark is a great young man. God's doing a work in his life. He's growing in the Lord. He's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he is a technician there at uh, Ridgedale Baptist Church. Works in maintenance and does a lot of good things. Let him know how glad you are to welcome him to Elizabeth Chapel. Amen. Hey, good morning. It's, it's great to be here today. Um, if you did not know, I'm a former drug addict and alcoholic. And I no longer am. God is good. So, this coming Tuesday, I will have 29 months sobriety. That's 29 months free of alcohol and drugs. And the only way I was to accomplish this was through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I spent a good 15 years with addiction controlling my life, influencing most of my decisions, and causing a lot of pain and suffering for my family. But I want to tell you, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The good Lord has set me free from the chains of my addiction Jesus has healed me. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus was met by a demon-possessed man, and he healed him. Listen to what happened in verse 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away. He said, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went out. The man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Just like that man, that's what I want to do. I want to share how much Jesus has done for me, and I want to share the story of where I was and how I got to where I am because I put my faith in Christ. I was born in Dalton, Georgia in 1981. I was raised in a small town of Cahutta, Georgia, where I enjoyed living out in the country and growing up on a farm. I considered my childhood to be a normal one, nothing special, nothing out of the ordinary. I have an older brother, one younger sister. I grew up going to church. I went to Sunday school almost every Sunday and really looked forward to vacation Bible school. When I was nine, I decided that when I wanted to die, I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to be saved. I talked to my pastor at that time and turned my life over to the Lord. Shortly after that, I was baptized by my grandfather. Later on, during my youth, I was involved in my youth group, the outings and the camps we go to every year. I really enjoyed Wednesday nights praising the Lord in fellowship with my friends. I want to talk to you a little bit about spiritual warfare. There are some things that go on in this world and in our minds that I am yet to fully understand, but I know exist. All Christians are involved in spiritual warfare, whether we know it or not. Satan is continuously trying to attack us in some way. He is constantly trying to separate us from God. We have to be prepared and ready when he attacks. The way to be prepared and ready for Satan is to stay in the Word of God. Read your Bible. 
Guess what? When Satan attacked me, I was not ready. I can't remember my exact age, but somewhere between the end of middle school and the beginning of high school, and shortly after youth trip with my church, I remember a question my mother asked me one day when we were having a discussion about what God's plan might be for my life. She asked me if I thought that God was calling me into the ministry. I looked at her and I said, no, I do not think God is calling me to a life of ministry. Now, I still love Jesus and was joined the life of a Christian, but I was not ready to sacrifice my life. I was still interested in what the world had to offer, and I knew if I chose to devote my life to Jesus in that way, I was going to be missing out on worldly things. If I were to use the phrase, it all went downhill from there, this would be a good point in my life to use it. This is where I'm pretty sure the spiritual warfare in my life kicked into overdrive. Satan was on the attack. Satan somehow had put the lies and fear in my mind that I was going to miss out on my life if I were to stay committed to following Jesus. I once was actively pursuing Christ, and now I was straying away. I started becoming more and more disobedient to God's Word and less involved in the relationship I once had with Him. I want to share a few stories and events that took place in my life because I chose to turn away from God and the life He was calling me to lead. I also want you to know that these stories are in no way meant to glorify Satan and the evil I allowed into my life. These stories are for you to witness the mercy and saving grace afforded to us by the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And God's ability to change any person that will just turn to Him. I was about 15 or 16 when alcohol entered into my life. I had not even smoked my first cigarette. It was at a friend's birthday, and there was about six or eight of us that were going to stay the night over at his house. I had asked my mom if I could go, and she said no. She didn't know what we were doing. But. So I made up this story. I was staying over at another friend's house, somebody that I knew she wouldn't mind. Somebody I knew she would say it would be okay to. Now, my mother was protective of her children, and she kept up with exactly where we were supposed to be. So in order for me to do certain things, I had to lie. As soon as I knew she believed where I was, where I was supposed to be, my friend and I went over to the, where the party was. We had been talking at school a few days earlier about how fun it was going to be to crack open that bottle of tequila. And that's what happened had big K-Cola and tequila. I only had one drink, but that was enough to get me buzzed and enough for me to find out I enjoyed it. Maybe some of you can relate. Being young and curious, wanting to try something that you were told to stay away from, but something that sounded like fun. Well, for me, it was fun, real fun, at least for a while. Then it turned really, really bad. It started off being something that I was interested in doing just every once in a while. 
maybe at a party or with one of my friends when their parents were out of town. Then it became something I desired to do more frequently, like every other weekend. And that desire only grew. It got worse. Satan has a way of tempting us and trying to pull us away from God. Satan cannot force us to do anything that we do not want to do. It will always bear our choice. That does not mean the choice will be easy. But if we put our trust in Jesus, we can overcome the devil's schemes. Now, I don't see drinking alcohol as a bad thing in itself. There are places in Scripture where wine is talked of as being a positive thing. Psalms 104 talks of the good things God has given us. Wine is listed as something that gladdens human hearts. But there are also dangers that are warned against. Isaiah 5.11 It says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. That's pretty much what I did. Do you know the liquor stores in Chattanooga? That's where I'm staying now. They open at 8 a.m. in the morning. That's pretty early. But I was there some mornings. Through my disobedience of God's word, I allowed alcohol and sin to consume my life. My junior year in high school, I started getting involved in drugs. I was introduced to marijuana and found out I liked it too. I also found out that if I sold it, I could afford what I smoked for free. I also found out that at school, if I took some concealed it in fruit by the foot snack wrappers, I could sell it at the lunch table and nobody would even know. During that time, I was working at a pharmacy. It was a small mom-and-pop pharmacy, and I ran the cash register up front and also stocked the shelves along with a few other employees. There was one employee that worked there, the same age as me. We often hung out outside of work, and he was actually one of my friends at that party that I went to and tasted my first alcohol drink. He always seemed to have a lot of extra money. He was always able to buy stuff but I wasn't. Eventually, he told me why. See, the pharmacy had a lot of cash customers back then. And if you were to take a payment from one of those customers and did not tender it out on the old cash register they used, you could stick it in your pocket. And no one would ever know. I soon found out that there were other ways at the pharmacy to make money, too. They had narcotics there. At that time, I don't think I'd even tried a Xanax or a Percocet, which years later would be one of the things that consumed me. But I did find out they were worth a lot of money. When it was getting time to close for the evening, one of our jobs at the pharmacy would be to sweep the floor. That's when I could go behind the counter where the pharmacy usually hung out and it would be okay. I wouldn't, wouldn't seem very obvious. See, I'd started hanging out with the wrong people at school and was able to find out which pills were good, which ones they desired. So as I was back there sweeping, I would slip a bottle or two in my pocket every so often 
and I would take them to school and sell them. I really never thought of the consequences or even that I'd be caught. One morning, my mother ended up finding some of those drugs in the trunk of my car one morning before school. So my parents, after they tried to figure out what to do, they decided to make me, make me go back down to the pharmacy and tell the owner what I'd done. I swore up and down this was the first time I did it. And then I'd never do it again, but this wasn't true. I thought my life was over. I was sure I would spend years in jail once he called the police. But to my astonishment, he didn't. The only thing he did was talk to my parents and relieved me of my employment there at the pharmacy. I thought I was so lucky. My senior year of high school, I started stopping by a friend's house before school. His parents went to work early, so it was a good place to meet up, smoke pot, and get high before going to class. What used to be a weekend thing had now become an almost everyday thing. Marijuana and alcohol started to have negative impact on my life. I'd also started smoking cigarettes on a daily basis. Later in college, I continued to get high before class and ended up failing several of my classes. I ended up spending several years at Dalton State College taking classes on and off, but I never graduated. While I was still taking classes, I was introduced to a new drug, a new drug called meth. Back then, it was referred to as crank. The first time I tried it, I was a little apprehensive to do so. I had class the next morning, and I wasn't sure how it'd make me feel, but I ended up just trying a little bit. It wasn't long until that drug had consumed my life. At this point, I had decided to take a break from school. I was working full-time driving a heister down at Shaw Industries. My best friend and I were renting a mobile home for my mother. Things got way out of hand. We spent a lot of nights drinking liquor, smoking pot, and smoking a lot of meth. My body began to show signs of hard drug use. I lost a lot of weight. During this time, I also tried about every other drug there was out there to try. This lasted for about a year. Now, when I was 20, I had my first arrest. Actually, it's the only time I got arrested, even though I had several other run-ins with the law. I had left my girlfriend's house late one night, around midnight. I was returning home. As I was driving, a car appeared behind me out of nowhere. Before I knew it, he hit me with blue lights. I was nervous. I had just been smoking some pot at my girlfriend's house, and I, I knew he could really smell it, and that's what happened. First thing he said, I smell it, where's it at? So I knew I was caught, so I told him where it was at, and he found it. I had only a small joint in the car, but he arrested me and took me to jail, where there I only spent three hours before I was released. I knew I had caught a break, though. See, earlier, earlier that night, I had purchased a whole ounce of marijuana. But for some reason, I was super nervous and left it at my girlfriend's house. 
I didn't want to carry it with me. That decision meant the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony charge that night. Once again, luck was on my side. So I stopped using meth for a little while, but continued to smoke pot and drink on a regular basis. I started to take a hydrocodone every now and then because I found that it made me feel better when I had a hangover. Then I started taking them just because they made me feel better. I also started using Xanax. At this point in my life, I started experiencing blackouts quite often. I would often wake up the next morning with a hangover, not remembering anything that went on the night before. This went on for many years. My addiction was wearing me down and hurting the people around me. My family had had enough and decided I could not stop on my own, and they talked to me about treatment. I knew this addiction was killing me, but I had lost all hope. I wanted to stop living the way I was, but I couldn't. I couldn't do it on my own. I was depressed and hurting. I kept telling myself, though, I could stop any time, any time I got ready, but I couldn't. I was experiencing my, a struggle in my life that I had no control over, and I was losing. I really wasn't given a choice, but I agreed to go into outpatient treatment. Even though I didn't want to be a drug addict any longer, I still wasn't ready to quit. And I didn't go to treatment for myself. I went to make everyone around me happy. I started using meth again off and on, and even though I was in treatment, I found a way around the drug test that they would give me. One day after I'd been up all night, I borrowed my friend's truck and drove to the store to get some fuel. I never made it. About halfway there, I blacked out, hit an embankment, broke the front axle on that truck, was launched through the air and crashed into the side of a house. Thankfully, no one was injured, not even myself. Somehow, I avoided going to jail. I found myself lucky once again. That night, I had to tell them at treatment what had happened earlier that day. I left out the part about being high. I also manipulated the drug test that they gave me, and I passed it. I'm not bragging about it, but I got pretty good at lying. I found myself doing it a lot. Altogether, I ended up going through two outpatient programs, detox twice, and three inpatient programs. The third inpatient I did was the last. It was a six-week inpatient program at a, at a men's Christian home down around Atlanta, Georgia. But it was the one I was ready for. It was the one where I would return to follow Jesus. There's one last story I'd like to share, and this happened a few months before I turned from my, from my addiction and back towards God. This event that happened was God trying to get my attention. I did, it did not cause me to stop using drugs at the time, but definitely got my attention and was something I was able to reflect back on. 
and it did put me in the hospital for several days. I was using large amounts of oxycodone and had been drinking liquor heavily for some time. I mean every day. One afternoon I woke up and was trying to start my day. This time I was living with my mother. She was trying to help me get away from all this. But I hadn't drunk anything since the night before and I really didn't want to. I had been out of my room for a good while when I decided to go lay back down because I wasn't feeling well at all. As I was walking back to my room, when I reached the door, I fell. I passed out. When I woke up, I saw my mother and my brother's wife standing there checking on me. I was laying on a broken mirror, but that's not why I ended up going to the hospital. I didn't get cut or even scratched. So they helped me up, and I went to my room, lay down, and went to sleep. I'd been asleep about 30 minutes and I woke up. I felt real weird. Something was telling me I needed to take my blood pressure. I had to take it twice because I thought the machine read it wrong the first time. But the second reading did match the first. My blood pressure was around 50 over 20. I got pretty scared. I told my mother I need to go to the hospital right then. Now, while all this happened, I'm still laying in bed. I haven't even tried to get up yet. So when I tried, I found out that I could not walk. My legs were so weak that I could not stand. So they helped me to stand and put me in a rolling office chair to help me get to the front door so I could get in the car. Once we got to the front door, something else happened. All of a sudden, the lights became so bright that I couldn't see anything or hold my eyes open. I thought I was going blind. I couldn't see anything. This continued on after we got to the hospital for at least an hour. I was really scared. It turns out my potassium level had been depleted from all that. They assumed from all the drinking, but I uh, ended up staying there for four days. And then I was released. Now this last time I went to treatment, it was different. My reason for going this time was not focused on my addiction really and how to stop. I was super depressed and I did not see any way out on my own. My focus this time was on God. I was going to focus on Him and building a, re a new relationship with Him. I knew Jesus was my only hope. I did not ask, just ask for forgiveness for my sins, but I repented of them. I was truly sorry for the way I was living. I was done with it. I was ready to turn from my life of sin and follow Jesus. And I was healed because of my faith. Now I mentioned earlier at times how I found myself lucky. Now I realize it's something more than luck in these, these stories I share with you. I see how God had his hand on me the whole time. I can't explain every detail of why things that should have happened to me didn't happen. The only thing is... It wasn't in God's plan. God has a plan for me and he has one for you as well. John 10, 29, Jesus says to the Jews in Jerusalem, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
Satan does not stand a chance as long as we're walking with God. I now work at Ridgedale Baptist Church in Chattanooga where I'm a maintenance technician and also a pastoral intern. I'm actively studying God's Word and taking ministry training classes through Sanford University. Jesus has really changed my life. What led to my addiction was that I allowed Satan to distract me from living a Christian life. Satan will tell us lies, he will fill us with fear, and he will wage war against our minds in order to try to separate us from Christ. The Bible gives us answers of how to take our stand against Satan. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to 1 Peter 5. I'd like to read a couple of verses really touched on my heart. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. First thing I see here is a command. Peter tells us to be alert and of sober mind. That means we're to remain focused on God. Pay attention with serious minds to what is going on around us and in the world around us. The second thing we learn is why. Why we are supposed to remain alert. We're to remain alert because the devil is out there prowling around looking for someone to devour. The third thing we're told is to resist him. Resist the devil while standing firm in the faith. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, do you know how he resisted Satan? Every time he was tempted, every time he was tempted, he fought the devil with the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. Three times he was tempted and three times he quoted scripture and then the devil left him. As I was preparing for today, I ran across something I'd like to share with you. Something somebody else wrote really struck out to me. It says, Our enemy, the devil, desires to devour us, to cause real and lasting harm. Peter has made it clear that our place in eternity with our Father is secure. The devil cannot take that from us. But he does seek to damage our faith. He wants to hear, he wants fear to shake our submission to the Father and lies to distort our understanding of God's goodness. Since he cannot touch the believer's soul, Satan seeks to leave us as weak and ineffective servants of our King. One more thing I'd like to share with you in the Scriptures, Ephesians 6. Start at verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Paul gives us specific instructions and tools that we're to use in aiding and resisting the devil. Start with verse 10. It reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggles, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is an important one for me. It works. I encourage you today to look to God for the answers you seek. And you can do that by picking up the Bible daily and reading from it and through prayer. Remember the hope that we have as believers in Christ Jesus and His ability to heal. God is good. Thank you.